Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm emailing my questions and comments. I actually am here. Okay, there, okay. Uh, just something I want to remind myself to talk to you about. There. Okay, happy Monday. Happy spring. <laughs> and um, it's the 9th of of April, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there is a lot of, as usual, news happening, and some of it horrific. I uh, suggest Syria. Um, and the president who wanted to uh, pull out just the other day now being bellicose and talking about striking them in some manner. And, of course, this is the first day on the job for uh, one national security advisor named uh, Bolton. And he likes nothing more than making war. So, I don't know. Uh, coherence <laughs> is something that uh is is not to be seen in the the current administration uh there's no coherence so it depends on what day it is what side of the bed he got up on so and this is the of course unsettling uh dangerous aspect of living in his world um Somebody, actually it was a Pittsburgh's own Howard Feynman, who uh, is a Washington journalist, who I think uh, tweeted something today that got me thinking. And he said that one of the things that concerned people about Trump's bromance with Vladimir Putin was that if push ever came to shove and Trump had to show that he was independent of the Russian president, that a great way of doing that would be war. A war in which Putin was on the other side. And um, I hate to tell you, but uh, Syria looks like it might foot the bill for that. Uh, in fact, uh, the president uh, heard to uh, say something even uh, vaguely uh, negative about Vladimir Putin in regard to uh, this. So who knows? Hang on to your seat. That's all I'm suggesting. And uh, meanwhile, we just uh, wait. We powerless peons. Uh, I, I've got a lot of stuff here to talk to you about. None of it is huge, but um, none of it is particularly um, upsetting either. <laughs> so it could be a, a sort of a, a good kind of a show in which we, after my initial uh, comments, uh, pretty much disregard uh, the chaos in Washington and uh, and look to other other stories. 
uh, who was it who called? Somebody called, I think, last week. Uh, or maybe the week before, and said uh, it was an alert for candy uh, lovers that uh, the Clark Bar, which has obviously a Pittsburgh connection, and uh, Necco <laughs> wafers, and those stupid little Halloween candies, the heart-shaped ones with like Be Mine and stuff like that written on them, uh, that they were in, in true danger. And um, I... The Wall Street Journal reported on this today, so I have a little more information, and I uh, just want to share it with you. That is, uh, our 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 caller was absolutely correct. It's a huge danger, and um, in fact, the uh, the company that makes those uh, candies has said that it would uh, close operations. Uh, next month, if nobody bought the company, and I guess nobody is looking like they are going to buy the company, and uh, they make uh, Necco, Mary Jane's, Clark Bars, Squirrel Nut Zippers, and those heart-shaped things that are that are called uh, sweethearts. Uh, the Wall Street Journal particularly uh, focuses on Necco uh, wafers, those quarter-sized, um, you know, chalky, <laughs> awful thigmajigs in a little wrapping. Uh, but you know that they have been around, let me get the date right, since 1847. Necco wafers have been manufactured since 1847. And the company, the company that I guess now owns Clark as well, is called New England Confectionery Company, and that is the outfit that is saying it will go out of uh, business. It It is, I mean, this is a historic demise if it happens because... Uh, this particular company is the oldest continually operating candy company in the United States. I don't know after they go, maybe Hershey will be next. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I will rise to being the oldest continually um, operating. Uh, but apparently the news... Of, of this potential demise has caused panic to break out in certain circles <laughs> so that people are trying to scarf up all the Necco wafers they can get their hands on because they will be the last Necco wafers. The uh, Wall Street Journal quotes um, a guy from McKeesport who is uh, the president uh, of uh, an organization, organization, a company called Candy Favorites. It's a wholesaler. And he says all weekend his phone was ringing off the hook from people pleading with him, they, people who wanted to buy his entire inventory. So people see, you know... It, the marketplace, as we as we learned, uh, you know, just rudimentary stuff about the marketplace is uh, things have greater value when they become more scarce. 
if there is a demand. So all of a sudden, I mean, NECA wafers is like rivaling Bitcoin in like people wanting to glom onto them because it could well be it's the end of an era. But listen to this history of, of, of NECO. They were Union and, um, no, not Confederate, Union soldiers, because this was a New England outfit. Union soldiers carried NECO wafers um, into uh, battle. In World War One, American uh, and World War Two, American GIs carried NECO wafers because they don't get old, because they sort of are already, I mean, if you've ever tasted them, they seem like stale. They seem like something that was, you know, dug up somewhere and has gone hard and but still has a little bit of flavor. So they don't get old. They're perfect to carry. In fact, not just GIs, not just Civil War soldiers uh, carried them, but Admiral Byrd, Admiral Richard Byrd, of historic uh, note, took two and a half, I find this impossible to believe, but it's right here in the Wall Street Journal, took two and a half tons of Necco wafers on his two-year exploration of the uh, South Pole in the 1930s. Not only because they could pass his food, but also they were used sort of like beads were used by, you know, the first settlers here in the, on the continent to barter with the natives. Um, they were used uh, to hand out to the Inuits uh, that were encountered and were important to the, uh, to the expedition. So, Neko wafers, who knew? Um, it says right here, and maybe some of you Catholics will uh, will acknowledge this because it makes perfect sense, that Catholic kids often, playing priest, would of course use Necco wafers as, as communion wafers. Um, and here's another great thing. I said they were quarter-sized. Well, they really are. And um, apparently... It used to be in those old toll booths where you would throw in, you could throw in a Necco wafer and a lot of machines before I guess they got wise to it would, uh, would count it as, as a quarter. So there were often lots of Necco wafers uh, found in, uh, in uh, toll booth baskets. Just saying. Who knew? But um, it says here that... Um, I don't know how many of you are like aficionados of Necco wafers, but it says here, and I don't disagree, that the flavors of Necco wafers have been described as tropical drywall <laughs> and plaster surprise, among others. It is. It's just awful, but awful's okay. I've eaten more than my more than one or two in my lifetime. But of all the candies on this chopping, uh, chopping block that'll go down if this uh, nobody buys up 
The New England Confectionery Company Clark Bars are the ones that hit closest to home and, and also are the best of the lot. I mean, Clark Bars are good. So you might want to scarf some of those babies up because they're they're on very dangerous uh, footing. Um, one wholesaler said he got a customer who wanted to barter for the company's entire stock of NECA wafers. He was willing to give the company his 2003 Honda Accord for whatever NECA wafers they have. And he, he, he said, please say yes. They didn't. And they had a, a limit of only two boxes. All he got, this guy who was willing to give his car, uh, got two boxes. Boxes, not rolls. Two boxes of NECA wafers he did get because that was as much as they were letting any any one person get. So I just wanted to tell you, you heard it first on this program, but that was because one of you alerted us and uh, and that's just a little more information about it sad something else that's going the way of perhaps Neko wafers uh, and I don't think any of us will miss it and some of you have already noted it uh, it is having to uh, sign on uh, when making a credit card purchase um, you ain't gonna have to um, next month, um, all the major uh, cards, uh, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, Discover, will stop requiring, uh, I, I guess before the month's out, they're going to, in a week or so, will not require your John Henry to complete a uh, purchase, no matter no matter the price. Um, because now, I mean, you can see that they've been heading in that direction. You go into some stores, if it's under 25 bucks, they say, go under 50 bucks, who cares? Um, and they're just, they say the signature is just a waste of time. It is BS. Uh, people have shown that you can, you know, you can write Mickey Mouse. You can, you know, write, uh, you know, Charles Manson, whatever you write, whatever you want. Nobody pays any attention at all, except. Correct me if I'm wrong. State store clerks. Because very recently, I have, I have been asked to show my driver's license, and or because the my the signature on the back of my card is sort of faded, and they I mean where they ask for the card and they look and they look, and they look, and I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? Nobody does this anymore, but the state store system uh, does. And I've marveled uh, over the years at how some people sign anyway. I mean, some people's signatures are nothing more than like, or blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, chicken scrub. Do you do that? I mean, it bears no, no one could conceivably read whatever that so-called signature is. And I have, I've noticed that and thought, well, then what's the point? And, and for that matter, why am I so, you know, like it's a penmanship drill. Lynn, 
Colin. I mean, mine looks, it's legible. I've even got good at doing it with my finger. Remember the first time you had to do that? So none of that is going to be necessary uh, anymore. And uh, and I'm sure we'll get uh, annoyed by any retailer who does continue to ask uh, for our signature. The other thing I don't like about having to do a signature is germs. I'm not that I'm a total germaphobe, but during this last flu season, when everybody seemed to suggest it was a killer flu and it was awful and horrible, I was so not wanting to get that flu that I began looking at everything like like having to sign on with one of those things that everybody I mean like uh death defying so I don't know anyway just saying it's going to be gone just like the NECA wafer give it up changes constant we have a call hello caller Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Can you? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All I was going to say is I don't believe that with Necco and Clark. I, I I remember well back here when Hostess. You weren't going to get their cupcakes and Twinkies and all that. My God, you get they got all their selections way back. So somebody's going to make them. Somebody's going to do it. They'll still be there, guaranteed. I I don't know. Yeah, but Twinkies, Twinkies. All right, Twinkies <laughs> though are different than Necco wafers. I think Twinkies have a stronger base. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, Necco wafers aren't the greatest. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all right. They're like you know Pepto Bismol yeah, tablets. I mean, they're like yeah, ugh. they're not. Like colored chalk. The Clark bars, they got a ton of sugar in them. So. Well, of course, that's the idea. But I um, mean, they're one of the sweetest ones, I think. Clark, maybe. I like them, but I don't eat them that much. No, I don't either. That's good. But I no, yeah. I think Necco's gone. I mean, I'm sorry. I think it might be. I mean, it's not a huge I loss. I thought they were made in another country. To be honest with you, I don't know why I thought they were made in England. New, well, New England. New England. Oh, okay. Okay? That's, and yeah, that's in America. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Strange, but it is. Okay. Okay. Thank you. That's all I got. Okay. Goodbye. That's fine. See ya. We'll see ya. Yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye. So, yeah, England and New England reminds me of one of my stories. Um, it's a quickie. Uh, about... Uh, this is early, early in the days of my talk radio career. Um, and I had a, a producer who would be booking guests for me. It was a three-hour daily show and, you know, doing this, doing that. And I just have two stories about her, but one, one which the caller made me think of, is one day she said to me, She's a nice, nice person. Uh, uh, she said, Lynn, do you know how I get hold of the international operator? And I said, uh, no, what do you need an international operator for? And she said, I've got to call New Mexico. 
I want to tell you, this was a Penn State graduate. I'm just saying. She had a college degree. I want to call New Mexico. And the same producer also said to me once breathlessly, we've got to gear up because uh, next week is the centennial of the end of World War II. And I said, no, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not. She said, yes, it is. I mean, she doubled down. Yes, it is. Uh, No, it's not. I mean, I don't know what she, was it the 50th? I don't know what she was thinking. But obviously the centennial of the end of World War II would be uh, what? It hasn't even happened yet. Um, This was a long time ago, but I, jeez. Oh, yeah. Hey, speaking of that, did you watch the Paterno thing? Speaking of Penn State. Did you? I saw most of it. I think I missed the first half hour, and I thought it was awful. Um, I just thought it was slow and ponderous, and I thought Paterno came off looking like an sort of an idiot. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was. I don't know. I mean, just sort of a, a totally one-dimensional character who only whose whose life was football. And uh, and his crime was that he just didn't his head didn't didn't take in information that didn't have to do with uh, football. So if if uh, someone like McQuarrie told him that uh, that Sandusky was uh, you know fondling or whatever he said uh, little boys in the locker room I mean that it just didn't it didn't I don't know I thought it was awful uh, which surprised me because uh, Barry Levinson is a really good director Al Pacino obviously is a Academy Award winning actor and I, I guess he was I, I don't know I thought it was bad and if you're a real Penn State fan, you would not have liked it. I'm not a Penn State fan. I don't have any, I don't care one way or the other, but um, it sure made the folks in Happy Valley look like a bunch of shallow rabble, I would say. And maybe there's some truth in that, too. I don't know, just saying. So, yeah, so the credit card signature is uh, is toast. Uh, in fact, um, the New York Times reports that the odds are y- you are not going to be asked to sign anything um, except the like maybe when you buy a house or buy a car or maybe something at the bank. I think banks will still, won't they, at some point ask for your signature? I don't know. They said it'll be pretty much a thing of the past. And it's all because signatures are about, we're always about security. Well, that's laughable because they don't in any way secure a dang thing. I mean, and and the fact that people don't check them, so they're gone. You know, and if you think about it, I don't think a lot of young people can't hardly can 
can sign their name because they don't know cursive. I mean, can a signature, I guess a signature could be an X, but, and it can be printed, but um, cursive is, is gone. And cursive is how you do a signature, ain't it? I don't know. Just saying. All right. As I said, I don't have much of anything today. God, there was this thing on Twitter that I saw that so enraged me this weekend. And uh, that's what I was sending to myself when the show began because it turns out the the New York Times has, has done a piece on it. Um, ah, Philomena. Hang on here. Philomena says, I always like Necco wafers, especially the chocolate ones, which are available as an entire roll, but they're harder to find. Regarding using them for playing communion, we used to use flying saucers with the tiny candy beads inside. They were closer to the taste of the actual communion wafer. And that was candy? Flying saucers? I don't, I don't know from flying saucers. I listen to your show every day and enjoy it. Thank you, Philomena. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, as a kid, I once took communion. I know that's a bad thing. Um, it was a dare. I mean, I lived in a totally Catholic town, Green Bay, and a friend uh, dared me. And so I said, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. And he said, just go up there and mm, stick out your tongue. Um, so I did it. I did do it once, and I'm sorry. But I'm willing to bet a lot of people take communion who shouldn't, including a lot of Catholics, right? I mean, don't follow the letter of the of the law. Uh And I'll tell you another sacrilegious thing that has to do with, uh, have I ever told you, I, I don't like to, because I adored this guy, Paul Long, the old, old, old time anchor, uh, television anchor here in Pittsburgh, who once famously was, uh, his picture was shown on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson because uh, Carson couldn't believe that he was an anchor because it was this big, bald bulldog of a, of a guy and, you know, this was at the time already that anchors were always, you know, had hair and airbrushed. And so I, I guess at one point he showed Paul's picture. But Paul was a, a absolutely rock-ribbed atheist. And um, he smoked these big, huge cigars. Um, and on Ash Wednesday, I hate to tell you this, because the first time I saw him do it, I was you're ahead of me here, right? Because people would come to work in the newsroom with with the ashes on their forehead and I think even would be on TV. Yeah, with are they still? Yeah, with ashes on their forehead. And and Paul would, you know, stick his take his the butt of his um and every every time, every Ash Wednesday and I I'd loved him, but I remember saying, hey, Paul, that's like really not nice. Ah, whatever, anyway.
Okay, so that that's worse than me taking communion, right? Absolutely. We got a call. Hi, caller. Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in D.C. Mike, hi. I do not want to waste my call on this, but I can't stop myself from asking. <laughs> Who in their right mind, what kind of twisted childhood did you have that you played priest? I didn't. Please, priest. Well, didn't you play doctor, doctor, priest? Uh, no, I was raised Catholic, and all my friends were Catholic. No one ever played priest. And you walk up to your friend and stick out their tongue, and they put, "Oh my God, how stupid is that?" Well, but wait, never. I, obviously, people because a priest was a major authority figure, and kids like the dress up and pretend they're major yeah you pretend your teacher or... I didn't do it but obviously some people did <laughs> well I must have had a much more interesting childhood because nothing sounds stupider <laughs> to me than playing priest um, what you could do confessions I mean I think priest could be it'd be like you know yeah it'd be fun no you'd have to convince oh my gosh no that's just dumb <laughs> <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> well, I'll tell uh, from a Catholic boy, that's dumb. So you never even had the slightest inclination to say, "Hey, let's let's play priest." Hey, my friends, let's all of you be parishioners, and I'm going to be the priest. My friends would say, "No, let's go ride bikes. Let's go swimming." <laughs> you know oh, what I yeah. mean? I remember that. Well. I don't know. Did girls play nuns? I don't know. You didn't play at being somebody ever? An authority figure? No. I don't remember. Well, you yeah, played cops and robbers, didn't you? Or yeah, cowboys and Indians. You were doing something. Oh, it was you were physical. doing something. You were shooting them, they were yeah. shooting you. What's the priest do? He what sticks kid, wafers on you. What's the priest get to do? He sticks wafers on your tongue. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. And he listens to all of. I'm offending anyone. I'm sorry, but I've never heard of anything so ridiculous. Okay. All right. Every hey, listen. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, and I, I appreciate it. And this does not constitute your call of the week. I I will give you, absolution. Okay. In my priestly role. Yes. Forgive me, Lynn Fry. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Fine. Go say a hail mary and get out of here. Okay. Bye. Uh, Thomas in Austin, Texas says, or Tom, let's not get so serious here. Tom in Austin, Texas says, thanks for the Necco story. I live north of Boston in Revere, which is where the factory is. Yeah, it's right in the Wall Street Journal. It's in Revere, Massachusetts. Geez, I wonder how the town got that name. (laughs) Um... Live north of Boston in Revere, past the Necco factory daily. <laughs> well, it ain't gone yet, but it's, uh, no, it's teetering. It is teetering. Oh. Barbara has sent me a picture I'd just as soon not have seen. Thank you. It's a picture of, who is that? Mick Mulvaney? with ashes on his forehead. Well, (laughs) 
Okay. I don't think I saw anybody on Ash Wednesday this year with ashes on. Is that starting to... I mean, it really used to be uh, in my hometown of Green Bay and certainly here in Pittsburgh a long time ago that everybody seemed to have them. It's no wonder, you know, maybe even Paul Long wanted to get in on the... I don't know. Okay, so this thing I wanted to tell you about... uh, when I interrupted myself to bring you Philomena's uh, communion candy. Um, so there you go, Philomena played. She she did priest. She just didn't use Necco wafers. She used uh, flying saucers, whatever they are. Um, okay, so this shows how out of it I am in certain uh, popular culture uh, venues. I did not know who Tony Robbins was. Do you guys know who Tony Robbins is um i wouldn't recognize him i'm looking at a picture of him now i never saw this guy in my life having seen him i wouldn't never want to um but tony robbins is i had to look him up on google uh he's uh very rich i would think because he's one of these it's sort of like the lay version, the secular version of these televangelists, I, you know, who take people's money, <laughs> for, you know, in a nefarious way by suggesting they're offering them some kind of salvation, right? Well, Tony Robbins is um, a life coach, and he, I guess, has this huge empire where people pay sometimes thousands of dollars uh, to listen to him speak and to tell them how to have a better life. Um, I, I mean, it, it just gives me the creeps, frankly. So I, I didn't know from any of this, of course, California-based, all this kind of bull. But something got itself on the Internet, as they say, a viral video, uh, got loose, and I happened to see it, and was, I mean, stunned by what I saw. This was a video from, I guess, his most recent big event, where it looked like an arena, almost like he filled up. I mean, it was this huge, huge, huge audience. You couldn't see to the end of the audience. It was so big. And he's walking around, you know, with like a, I think he had like a headset on and doing what, you know, televangelists and the secular types do. And and then he lit in to the Me Too, hashtag Me Too movement, and said uh, that women were using the Me Too movement to, and this is a quote, to try to get significance and by attack by attacking and destroying someone else. And I thought, what? And some extraordinarily brave woman in the audience stood up and said, I think you're... Uh, mischaracterizing the movement. And he 
went back at her in a way this is what this is the part I found so unbelievably astonishing and a classic kind of hashtag me too moment this guy is huge I looked him up on Google he's six feet seven inches he's a big bruising guy and this woman was I don't know five five I don't know what she was he She's asking the question, and in front of these thousands of people, he comes at her physically. He wasn't just disagreeing with her. He came at her physically and actually started, I mean, my memory has started sort of like almost pushing her so that she ended up having to back away. He was backing away, and at one point she tried to push back a little, and he said, you're pushing back. And I, something. it was the most unbelievable act of clear physical intimidation by a big, big, big man of an uppity little female. And that's one of the reasons it went viral. Plus, when he started arguing with her, he said things that were just mind-blowing. He said he knew some guy who, I'm seeing if the New York Times actually wrote the, what he said, no. Um, he said that the Me Too movement was destroying uh, people's lives. He had praise for Steve Wynn, one of the guys who's been taken down, who built up Las Vegas and owns a lot of the casinos there. What a great guy he is. And then he said that he knows a guy who was hiring for his company, and he interviewed some candidates, one of whom was a very, very uh, qualified woman, but she was beautiful. And he said, Tony Robbins, and he didn't hire that beautiful, qualified woman because he didn't want you know, her around in his business. And I thought, what the hell is he saying? I mean, what? what? He didn't want to hire her because he wouldn't be able to keep his hands off her? He didn't want to hire her because somebody else might not? Or it did? I didn't even understand what he was saying. Um, and it was the, I, I was just, Stunned. I mean, it made me have to look up, and now I know who Tony Robbins is. I wish I didn't. And the reason, and what, big shock, huh? The headline in the business section of the New York Times is Tony Robbins apologizes for saying women use Me Too to gain significance that I mean what he said d struck me as not the most outrageous thing that was on that tape it was his physical intimidation of that woman and yeah so this guy whew, He's doing damage control today. There were a ton of women in that audience, 
And uh, the article says, I, I didn't see it on the on the tape that I saw because it was just a snippet, um, that people in the audience began um, booing him, what he said. And these are people who obviously love him and were willing to pay a lot of money to come and get his wisdom. Um and he put out this mealy mouth. I mean, how do these people turn on a dime and all of a sudden they just, whatever that was that we saw was exactly what he was thinking. And then two days later, because all of a sudden his uh, livelihood is endangered, um, he comes out and, and, uh, and says this, my comments failed to reflect the respect I have. Uh, for the Me Too movement. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. That's like a, a total reversal. So was he lying then? I mean, he had respect for the Me Too movement? Yeah, his comments did fail to show that because they were totally antithetical to any respect for the movement. So he goes on, let me clearly say that I agree with the movement. And on and on and on. I, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Tony. Big boy. Big boy. Taken down by a little woman. Huh? Laura writes, I agree with the caller that playing priest is ridiculous. Oh, but no, wait. She says, ridiculous to those of us not Catholic. But I thought he was Catholic. Yeah. He was talking as a Catholic. He couldn't imagine playing it. Um, Neko chocolate wafers. Oh, she's agreeing with Philomena. Neko chocolate wafers are the best. You know what they tasted like? Do you remember? How old are you? I don't know if you had to do this. When I was in grade school, so this is the 50s, not only did we do duck and cover drills in case the Russians decided to uh, to destroy us. But I think once a month they passed out these little chocolate tasting wafers and we all had to eat them. But they were not candy. But I liked them. They made them chocolate so the kids would eat them. They were iodine pills to prevent us from getting goiters. Did any of you have to do that in public school? I just remembered that. Because when I thought of a chocolate wafer, I could only think of my the goiter pills that we all look forward to. And I... Did you guys have to do that? Why did we? Anyway. Um, and Laura says... Uh, Neko chocolate are the best. Before they made the rolls of chocolate, we used to try to get the rolls that had more chocolate than others. I hated when there was no chocolate in a roll. <laughs> oh, that would ruin your day. I know, it would. <laughs> Chris writes, usually every year Stacy Smith on KDKA, he's the anchor on one of the stations here in Pittsburgh, will have ashes on his forehead when doing the new news. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've, yeah, still, 
So there's somebody who's still. Uh, yeah. And Chris also writes, I ha- hate to admit it, but I love the chocolate Necco wafers. <laughs> well, geez, maybe then they should just do the chocolate. Well, the whole company's going down. Uh, the pink and white ones taste disgusting. I'll have to make a run on those chocolate wafers. They do make rolls of just chocolate in case you're one. Got lots of luck. That's all I can say. And now there's a, I can think of two retro candy stores that I know of. There's one in the Strip. Um, I bet they're sold out. I don't know. You could try them. And the other, there's one in Sewickley. Just saying. That carry, you know, all the old, all the old candies. And uh, Chris says, sorry to say, but I like the Paterno movie. I thought Pacino did an excellent job. I, yeah, maybe he did, but I just found Paterno so dull. A, a, a character that I thought, I mean, it was just, I don't know, wasn't in my, I think Paterno was portrayed as a feeble old man who was just out of touch. Yeah, I think he was too. I mean, the fact that he sat there at one point and, and actually looked up and asked his family. He was trying to read some of the uh, evidence um, and in one of the cases, I guess, and, and, and he said, what is sodomy? And I believe an old-time 80, what was he, 85, 84-year-old Catholic guy wouldn't be quite clear what it was. I agree. Um, and Chris says he was so zoned into football only that he was just clueless. Yeah, and I think that's what they seem to suggest. It was sad, but he did understand that he'd built a. I mean, he was so proud of what he had built, and this sense of who he was, a good man. And he realized that as he neared the end, and he at that he didn't know that he wasn't going to be alive in two months, uh, that he had this thing had cost him everything, not just because he lost the job, but because I don't know. I it's sad in a way. I was never a fan of Paterno. He was a big Nixon supporter, I remember. And the Republicans were always after him to run in some way, be a vice presidential candidate or something like that. God. Uh, Ray writes, Lynn, Mike from D.C., as much as I normally enjoy his calls, is hardly a voice of typical Catholic experiences. Take that, Mike. I guess um, Ray must... uh, Ray is a very Catholic person, so... Okay, here we go. All derisive chortling aside. Oh, that is a good chortling. All derisive chortling aside, Catholics of a certain age who were required to learn the rubrics and responses of a Latin mass and then the transition post-Vatican II often would practice them as a sort of playtime it was no more silly than rehearsing any performance you were to be tested on. 
Well, you were a very serious, you were very serious Catholic. I married a very serious Catholic who bemoaned the end of the Catholic Mass, the Latin Mass, excuse me. Um, also, the Ash Wednesday uh, fake ashes is much less sacrilegious than receiving communion. If the receiving of communion was meant as a mockery in the way, I don't think it was a mockery that I was into. I just wanted to pull it off. I, I wasn't mocking. I was actually terrified. Um, innocent participation in the Eucharist is not uncommon. Okay. Please consider, says Ray, having your brilliant brother on to discuss his sense of disgust in our current social disorder. I think his book was prophetic of our time. For those of you who don't know, my brother has written a number of books, uh, one of which is called The Anatomy of Disgust. And it is, uh, it's what it, it, it's looking into the human emotion of disgust. And consequently, it's a little unseemly. Because the things that disgusted us are th things that disgust are things that people don't talk about. I mean, or, bleh, you know, it has a lot to do with, you know, bodily excretions and. You know, but my brother just loves, uh, you know, wandering into, uh, look at the underside of humanity. So his books are on disgust and humiliation and stuff like that. And never mind that he's a professor in the law school at uh, the University of Michigan. What any of that has to do with anything, I don't know. My brilliant brother, huh? Well, okay. He doesn't feel brilliant anymore. He's having trouble growing old, um, which is why he wrote a book called um, Losing It. <laughs> and it was about losing brain cells, losing just losing his sharpness, losing how when you get old, you're just not who you were. And uh, for him, um, it's it, it's just a very painful diminishment. And I keep telling him, get behind it, you know, re uh, reconfigure yourself. Uh, but he's, he's not inclined to do that. Um, I mean, if you think about it, losing it is um, pretty much what, growing old is. I mean, you lose your hair, you lose height, <laughs> you lose brain cells, you lose collagen, you lose uh, your hearing, you lose sometimes your sight, you lose your sense of... My mother was telling me, I can't taste anything anymore. Your senses go... You lose your... So it is. It's like this slow, slow, slow diminishment of what we think of as, you know, ourselves. That's why my dad, when he was, had a very long uh, decline, years, and he, I thought, always, he always, he's a wordsmith. Um, it's why I think I care about words so much. But he, <laughs> he always used words very carefully. So when you would say, when I would see him, I would say, you know, I, hi, dad, how are you? And in the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years of his life, he always said the same thing in response to that. And it was a true statement. Hi, Dad, how are you? 
diminished was always the response, which was a statement of fact in many ways, diminished. (laughs) And people wonder why I'm depressed. I live with these people. Chris writes, there's an old candy store that pretty much sells every candy ever made in North Huntington off of Route 30. Yeah, how are you going to get to North Huntington now? I'm asking. I'm just asking. For those of you who don't know, you get to North Huntington from Pittsburgh on Route 30. And guess what happened over the weekend? A big hunk of Route 30 collapsed into a valley. <laughs> it just, um, it went down. And there's no way, I don't even know, how would you even get to, I don't know what the alternative route there is. What would you do? Well, I don't have to, so anyway. So, yeah, unless you're uh, off of Route 30 behind Kenny Ross Chevrolet called Loom, L-U-E-H-M, Candy Company. I bet they're getting a run. Oh... Oh, Barbara says, sending me the picture of Mick Mulvaney uh, with ashes. She said, my point was, I thought his name was Mike. It is? Was such, was hypocrites displaying their ashes. And she said, already under Mulvaney, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is no longer about protecting consumers. Well, yes, but you know, that's true. Uh, has dropped a new regulation. Has dropped a regulation to rein in payday lenders. I mean, it's, these people are shameless. He has dropped an investigation of another payday lender, or the bureau did while he was running it. That lender actually contributed to his campaign. Then there's another case where he dropped this lawsuit that the Bureau was bringing against what's been alleged to be this sort of loan shark online operation that was charging 950% interest rates. So you add all this up and you're seeing a lot of cases of enforcement actions and regulations against aggressive high interest lenders that are basically being thrown out the window because this is Trump's government. Unbelievable. Disgusting. So you're saying he thinks he's a good Catholic? Yeah. Okay. God, where'd the show go? I, I can't, did I not come in? I came in and I told Amy, our new producer, by the way, who's wonderful. I told Amy, I got nothing. And I haven't even gotten through half of my nothing. But I want to get this in. So the hot movie right now is this movie called A Quiet Place, which is a horror movie, which means I doubt that I'll have the nerve to see it because I don't like getting scared. I'm scared enough. Um, A Quiet Place. And in the movie, I mean, there's a monster or something that's going to kill you. And and if you make a sound, it locates you. So the movie, apparently, unlike most movies now, which deaden your eardrums, this movie is silent, essentially, a lot of the time, which, except for the hearts pounding, 
right? And nearly dialogue-free. It has received rapturous reviews. I'm very happy for um, the director and star, who is John Krasinski, who's a nice guy. Um, he's tried to make two other, well, he did make two other movies, both of which were total <laughs> failures, one of which he filmed here uh, about fracking. You know, it was a very, it was talking about what happens in a community when the frackers come around and start pitting neighbor against neighbor in terms of buying off their, um, the rights to their, uh, their land. Um, and I had the, I had the, the wonderful opportunity to meet him and his wife, Emily Blunt, who is probably better known because she's a, an actress who's gotten a lot of acclaim. Um, I guess they were here and they, they were making that movie. Uh, you know that time I told you, I, why am I saying this? I mean, this is bullshit. But I just, I really like him. And I'm glad. He's got a hit. They got a hit on their hands. But what I wanted to say was, turns out this movie is so quiet that people who are going to it are having an experience in the theater that they, a movie theater that they haven't had ever, which adds to the power of the movie, which is that the, the place goes absolutely quiet. So, you know what's happening? People are afraid to eat their popcorn. The, the sales of popcorn and anything else, nobody, somebody put on Twitter, God, every time there was a slight bit of, uh, you know, of dialogue, I started throwing popcorn in my mouth. Because otherwise, if you made a crunch or something, you were literally disturbing the entire audience. So I'm just saying, if you go see this movie, don't think of getting popcorn because you're not going to be able to enjoy it. I just thought you might want to know that. I'd sort of like to see it, but I don't know. So anyway, I got a minute or two left. So th th what I was saying is the reason I got to meet him, and I told you guys this at the time, God, how many years ago was that, is that I was asked, and I don't remember why or how, I was asked to be part of a very secret <laughs> taping, videotaping, uh, that was done at the studios of WQED, the public station. And I was told not to tell anybody about it because there was concern that they didn't want any media there. And it turns out it was because all of these stars were there. Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, uh, Francis McDormand, um... I'm trying to think who else was there. There was just a bunch of big stars and we were all there and 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 I I did what they did. We all had certain little speeches that real Americans had made at certain times in history and we were just there to stand on a stage and read the speech 
in front of an invited audience. And this was for something, some project that Matt Damon is mostly behind. And it's, uh, it's about making an oral history of real Americans and their speeches. And any time he sees an opportunity to grab, I guess there were three movies being made at the time. Damon was in here for one. Uh, Francis McDormand was here for another one. And um, Blunt and Krasinski were here. And so he just got them all together. And somehow they coordinated and got some local people also to read. Um, and I was one of the lucky ones. So I, I mean, there I was sitting in the green room with Francis McDormand and Emily Blunt, and they were we were all just doing the same thing. It was pretty, pretty amazing, pretty heady stuff. It was. I'll never. I was just blown away by it. <laughs> really was. So it was fun, and I I do have a, a DVD of it. Although I guess I'm not supposed to. It was never supposed to be. I, I'm not quite clear about why, but I do have a raw video of all of us doing our things. Um, anyway, I guess that's it. So, but if you go see the movie. Sorry, no popcorn. I'm just saying you don't want to be the one. You don't want to be the one. All right, that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, unbelievable. I had nothing, and the show went so fast. So I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. My sister tomorrow. Wednesday we have another guest. Thursday we have Mrs. Rogers, Joanne Rogers, uh, coming on this, uh, this very big year for Mr. Rogers the 50th uh, anniversary of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And uh, so Joanne will be joining us, and she's, she's just wonderful. So I'm looking forward to having her here. See ya. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.